In order for musicians to protect themselves from copyright infringement, it's necessary to make sure they hold the copyrights in the first place. We talked to the Register of Copyright, Karen Temple, about how the Copyright Office is trying to improve that process, as well as how their research created the foundation for the CASE Act, which is currently making its way through Congress. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about changes in the copyright process and about the CASE Act, which, if passed into law, will create a small claims court for copyright infringements that could really benefit artists. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from SoundExchange, which provides royalty solutions and advocacy to ensure all music creators are paid what they are owed. You're listening to the future of what? I'm talking to Karen Temple. Karen, welcome to the future of what? Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor to have you. Thanks. So I wanted to start off by asking you, with the passage of the MMA last year, which is the Music Modernization Act, which I have talked about on the show a lot, so listeners should understand what that is. But with the passage of the MMA last year, there's now sort of this imperative for musicians to register their copyrights so that they can start to collect their royalties when the new licensing commission, the MLC, is up and running. So can you talk about how the Copyright Office is working to change the registration process to make it easier for people to get their copyrights registered? That is a great question. I will want to clarify one thing, which is that under the MMA, which is this, you know, a definitely a historic new law that we are very, very hopeful will enable more efficient music licensing and will enable more artists to be able to get paid for the use of their artistic works. They don't actually have to register with the U.S. Copyright Office. That is not required by the MMA for them to be able to get royalties. What they will need to do is to make themselves known to the MLC so that when the MLC does distribute royalties, they will have the contact information of those artists so that those artists are in the system and get those royalties. So I did want to make clear that although we definitely encourage registration for multiple reasons, artists will still be able to get paid royalties as long as they've put their contact information into the MLC. It's my understanding that the MLC right now that it has been designated by the U.S. Copyright Office, that they are working hard to develop the portal and websites necessary so that they can start accepting contact information. Separately, to encourage that process, the Copyright Office will really be engaging in a lot of outreach and education to you know, do things like this, explain the difference between what's required for registration versus just the requirement to get your contact information into the MLC's database. So we will also have separate educational materials that we're going to be releasing, some video materials, some written materials as well to provide really good information as to what do I need to do to get paid. And essentially, it is just provide your contact information to the MLC, and we will provide information as to how you can go about doing that so that when the license availability date happens, you will be able to get your money as quickly as possible. 
Excellent. So do you want to tell us on the way to answering the second part of that question, which is what you guys are doing to change the registration process to make it easier? Can you tell us to start off with what kinds of copyrights musicians can register with the Copyright Office? Yes. One additional thing that I did want to mention with respect to the MMA is that the Copyright Office on its website also has a web page that is devoted specifically to the MMA and to providing information about the MMA. As we update our materials, we will be updating that webpage to provide more information about, again, how the license actually works, what artists need to know to make sure that they are able to claim their royalties, what important dates there might be out there in terms of when royalties will be provided. So we do encourage any artists to come to the Copyright Office to get information about how the MMA works and what they need to do to ensure that they are able to get their royalties efficiently. Awesome. That's great to know. On a separate note, with respect to registration, we are doing a number of things to try to improve our registration system to make it more efficient and user-friendly. Anybody who's used our system, I will say I've, I've heard from millions and millions of users in terms of the clunkiness of the system and how long it takes for us to process work. So we really are working very, very effectively, I would say, to try to make the process more efficient. We are very pleased that in the last year, we were able to reduce our processing times significantly and that we were able to eliminate what we call our backlog of older claims as well. So we have made some progress in terms of proving overall processing time, but we understand that some of the reasons that the processing time is the way it is is because we have a system that still is clunky. So on a separate line, we We are also trying to improve the entire modernization of our office by doing a new system. And so we expect that in combination with improving our work processes to be more efficient, as well as redoing our system from the IT side, that registration ultimately will become much more efficient and easier to use for our artists and creators around the world. For musicians specifically, They can register all of the various types of works that are covered under the Copyright Act with the Copyright Office. Obviously, the most likely ones that they would register with us would be musical works, so the lyrics and sheet music that they might use in their work, but they can also register the actual sound recordings with us. And then any related materials that will help in their day-to-day work. So, for example, the liner notes of their various albums, they can register with us. They can register the artwork if they create themselves. So any copyrighted work that anyone else would normally register, musicians can as well. Anything that they think is important for them to use to really promote their works in a creative way, they can then register those works with us. Great. So one of the big reasons for artists to register their copyrights, musicians in particular, is to protect themselves against infringement. And something that has changed recently, and I'm not exactly sure, maybe you can clarify why this changed, but it used to be that if your copyright was infringed upon and you had filed your copyright with the Copyright Office, but it had not yet been completely passed through the process, that you could be protected. But now I understand that it actually has to be approved by the Copyright Office before you can get the full protection. Can you tell us a little about how that changed? So legally, I will say that there was a what we call a circuit split in the legal courts around the country. So the, the law itself didn't change, but how that law was interpreted did change because the Supreme Court had to decide on an issue that some courts had decided one way and other courts had decided another way. So some courts had decided that in order to get into court to sue on a copyright infringement, 
All you needed to do was apply for your registration with the Copyright Office, so send in your application to us. It didn't have to be decided upon by the office. Other courts disagreed, and so they required that the Copyright Office actually make a decision on the registration application before someone could get into court to sue to protect their rights. Now, to be clear, it didn't mean that our decision had to approve the registration, so we didn't have to find the actual work to be copyrightable. We could deny registration. Just the fact that we acted on the application and had a decision was what you needed to get into court. And so there was a Supreme Court case because certain circuits in the United States had one rule and other circuits in the United States had a different rule. And so it went all the way up to the Supreme Court in a case called Fourth Estate where they had to make a decision what should be the rule across the land. And they decided to go with the interpretation that we and the U.S. government had proposed, and which we obviously think was correct, that under the law that exists and under the language in the Copyright Act, that there is a requirement that the Copyright Office make a decision on an application before you can get into court. Again, that does not mean, though, that our decision has to say that it's copyrightable. You will still be able to get into court. Even if we deny the registration, you just have to have had it be acted upon by us. That is fascinating.
That was Last Chance County by Filthy Friends. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Karen Temple. So there's another piece of legislation that is passing through the House and the Senate right now called the CASE Act, which I know you can't comment upon. But what's interesting about the CASE Act is that it would create a small claims court specifically for smaller dollar infringement cases because, you know, it costs a lot of money to bring a lawsuit in court to try to get an infringement claim. And sometimes those infringements are just not worth it because they're too small in dollar value, but yet they're really important to the people whose works have been infringed upon. So I know that the Copyright Office actually wrote a document. You guys did a study and wrote up a document about sort of a small claims court situation. Do you want to give us the summation of that report? This is a really important issue for us. It's one where we want to ensure that the copyright system really works for everyone. There's a a vast diversity in terms of the type of people who have copyright claims from, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation to individuals who, you know, work outside of their home. And we really want to make sure that all of those people are protected by the copyright law. So we did this study to see whether people have access to protect their rights under the law. And one of the things that we concluded was because of the cost of federal court litigation, Under the copyright law, you can't uh, go into state court. All copyright infringement claims are handled at the federal court level. Because of the cost of federal court litigation, for many people, you have a right without an actual remedy because they really just don't have access to our court system. I think we found out that it was about an average of $200,000 was the cost of a case on copyright infringement. And the average person just would not be able to find $200,000 to be able to spend to litigate and protect their rights. And many attorneys would not take a case if all of they were able to recoup, for example, in terms of attorney's fees would be $500 or $1,000, which might be the amount of damages for some of those really smaller copyright claims. So we said effectively a large swath of creators and artists in the United States are prevented from protecting their rights because they literally can't afford to litigate and have had to make the really difficult decision to allow infringements to go forward without challenging them because they don't have the money to be able to litigate. And so we recommended an alternative forum that we felt would be much cheaper and easier to navigate that wouldn't even require a person to hire an attorney, something that, you know, they could do all on their own, an individual creator to be able to litigate those rights when there are smaller copyright claims at issue. So claims where the amount of damages is not going to be more than $30,000 per case. Now, this would be an alternative forum, so it would not be something where they would actually be going into court. What we had proposed was this alternative forum would be a basically a small claims tribunal that would be housed within the copyright office. And so it wouldn't have all of the same stringent requirements in terms of just complexity that you have in federal courts. So it would allow an individual creator to navigate this themselves very, very easily. And so that's what we had suggested. And we were very, very pleased that the CASE Act really took a lot of the suggestions that we had made in terms of creating this alternative forum and actually putting that into the legislation itself. One of the things that I will say, because it's an alternative forum, we did conclude that there would be a requirement constitutionally for that process itself to be a voluntary process. 
And so that's where essentially the parties are kind of agreeing to be bound by the various requirements of that alternative form. We said that that voluntary nature could take the form of either an opt-in where you have to affirmatively say that you would participate each of the parties or an opt-out where we give you an opportunity by notice to opt out of the process if you don't want to participate. The current provision that is in the CASE Act is an, is an opt-out model, which we did conclude in our report would also be something that would be constitutional and appropriate for Congress to utilize as a good method. That's very exciting. We're going to keep our eye on it here on the future of what, for sure, the passage of that bill through Congress. So to wrap everything up, what advice would you give to musicians who are trying to file their copyrights with the Copyright Office about how to succeed in that process and how to do their applications properly in the first place so they don't run into any trouble and they can be smooth? I would encourage them to come to our website and really take advantage of some of the materials we have there. We have everything from a very, very long 1,200-page document that we call our Compendium of Copyright Office Practices that explains in very minute detail every aspect of applying to the Copyright Office and filling out applications. But it's navigable, so they don't actually have to read all 1,200 pages. They can go to a specific section and find out information about that particular issue that they're looking at. They can also, we have things called circulars, which are usually one or two page documents that will be on a specific topic. So we encourage them to go to the website and read those documents. Uh, We are relaunching our YouTube channel with more information and videos for those people who need more of a visual and prefer to, to learn visually. So we encourage them to sign up and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We would encourage people to go to the Copyright Office website, which has a way for them to actually hit on a link and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We also do in-person presentations in various conferences and various venues. So we encourage if you see the Copyright Office coming to a conference that you're interested in, please join us and listen to our presentation. A lot of our presentations that we do here at the at the Library of Congress, we actually live stream on our YouTube channel as well, even if you aren't able to come and see those here. There is a lot of information that we have out there, and we encourage anyone who is going to have to navigate the copyright legal system to come to the Copyright Office first as the really authoritative portal for information on both how to apply for copyright registration, but also just about the copyright system as a whole. Well, Karen Temple, the Register of Copyrights for the U.S. Copyright Office, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you. It has been a pleasure talking with you, and thank you very much for having me.
That was Brother by Cindy Wilson. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Keith Cooperschmidt. Keith, welcome to The Future of What? Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So, you know something, I think for the good of our audience, it would be great if we started this interview by having you explain what the Copyright Alliance does, because it's, I think, a very important organization. Sure. So what the Copyright Alliance does is we represent both organizations and individuals. We represent about 13,000 organizations across the country, as well as about 2 million individual creators. So those are creators like authors and artists and software coders and songwriters and photographers and performers and, you know, all new generation of creators like bloggers and YouTubers as well. And what we do is these are all groups that rely on copyright. They rely on copyright for their livelihood, for their careers. And what the Copyright Alliance does is try to help educate them. So where they may not be familiar with, you know, how copyright works or have a copyright question, we try to educate them. But we also try to advocate for creators' rights and for the value of copyright. So we're up on Capitol Hill and within the administration and in the courts as well, making sure that all those policymakers out there understand the importance of copyright to the creative community and and to the economy and to the public as well. And I'm sure that's been an extremely challenging job in the last few years. Yes. No, absolutely. (laughs) There's always, I think with every job, there's always challenges but especially in the area of copyright, as piracy, you know, continues to climb, you know, and for every solution that we come up with to abate the piracy or stop the piracy, there's mischievous folks out there trying to earn a dollar off of somebody else's back, who are trying to, you know, to, to come up with new ways to pirate works and, and what have you. And so, yeah, there's, there's always new challenges. And, you know, we look forward to those challenges and we do our best to represent the copyright community and, and especially the little guys, the small creators and the small businesses that are out there that really may not know what's going on or have really no means to defend themselves. And that's that's one of the things that we try to do here at the Copyright Alliance. Yeah. And with that exact thing in mind, we should talk a little bit about the CASE Act, which is why I wanted to speak to you today. So can you give us an overview of what the CASE Act is and where it's at in Congress? Sure. So the CASE Act is actually the short. It's the acronym for the bill, which is the Copyright Alternative in Small Claims Enforcement Act of 2019. And But everyone calls it the CASE Act. It's much easier. And the bill numbers are H.R. 2426 in the House and S. 1723 in the Senate. And this is a bill that would create a small claims court in the U.S. Copyright Office for individual creators and small businesses. Because right now, the way the law is written, if you have a copyright infringement claim, you must go to federal court. That's what the law says. And unfortunately, federal court can be very, very expensive. There's one study out there that in essence says for a copyright infringement claim where damages are less than a million dollars, it would cost on average $278,000 
to pursue that case. In other words, close to a, around a quarter of a million dollars to pursue a case where the damages are a million dollars or less. And many of these infringement cases for these small businesses and individual creators, the damages are significantly less. It may be a few thousand dollars or even a few hundred dollars perhaps in damages or maybe, you know, $10,000 or something like that. But we're talking about small claims and these individual creators, these wedding photographers, songwriters, authors, they really don't have the money to pursue a claim in federal court. So they in essence have rights, they have copyright rights, they have no way to enforce those rights, they have no remedies. And the idea behind the CASE Act is to give them that option, to give them that remedy by creating a small claims court, which would allow them to pursue their claims in this small claims court without the need for an attorney, which is really the predominant cost factor in any litigation, do it in a way that is streamlined, easy to understand, participation it would be remote. So even if you're all the way out in Hawaii or wherever, you would not have to fly to Washington, D.C., where the Copyright Office is located. All the papers you need to file, any discussions about the case will all be done, you know, remotely, for instance, by phone or electronically, by email, whatever, or Skype or something, whatever the case may be. And the idea is to keep it very cost-effective, low-cost, streamlined, easy to understand, easy to use. So you wouldn't need to hire an attorney Somebody wanted to, they certainly could hire an attorney, or they could get law students to help them out. There'll be a bunch of programs at law schools to help out individuals who might be bringing these cases. So anyway, this is for the little guy. This is not for the big movie studio or big record label. It's for the smaller, maybe independent record label or the smaller publisher that you know doesn't want to spend gobs of money on an attorney but still does want to defend their rights and wants to stop the stealing. And this is this would be an option for them. Absolutely. And now, am I right in there's a cap for damages at like $35,000 in this small claims court? Yeah. So there are actually two caps in the cap on damages in the bill itself. And the first cap is a $15,000. So it's $15,000 in statutory damages for one claim. And why that's significant is because if you were able to afford to go to federal court and go to federal court, you could get as much as $150,000. So the cap is actually 10% of what you could get if you went to federal court, which is significantly less. The total cap on damages, so if you brought one case with several different claims to it, the most you could get would be $30,000. And that compares to the existing copyright law because there is no cap, right? You could go and sue in federal court and get hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in damages if you go to federal court. And so there is a cap on damages. And the idea behind that cap is twofold. One is to really keep this as a small claims court. And so, you know, large claims aren't being brought in this case. The other reason is to give people an incentive to participate because this is, and this is perhaps one of the most important factors is it is voluntary. If you are a copyright owner or creator, you don't need to use the small claims court. You can go to federal court or go to arbitration or mediation or or not pursue the claim at all. You don't have to do anything. But perhaps more importantly, if you're a defendant, if you're a user or alleged infringer, you can simply opt out of the process. And so by having these caps in place where the risk of liability for the infringer is significantly less in terms of damages, that could hopefully serve as an incentive, and then that person would not opt out, and they would actually participate in the case. 
So the way that I've heard this explained before is, is, you know, if you have a photographer or a musician, let's say, who's making just like fifty to $60,000 a year, and they find an infringement of one of their copyrights being used somewhere, and they have the option of taking this infringement to small claims court and maybe making $15,000 on it, that's a significant amount of money for a person who's making fifty to $60,000 a year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, that person who's making fifty dollars to $60,000 a year probably does not have $278,000 or so exactly. to, pursue, right. to pursue a case. And that says nothing about the case if it were to appeal, which would be a the decision would be appealed to be more money. And so this is a real option. Right now, you know, there's a whole community of creators that are being disenfranchised or feel disenfranchised by the copyright system, right? They feel left behind. They feel like the copyright system is only for the big guy, only for the big movie studio or big record label. And this gives them an option. It, it, it really reinvigorates copyright for them. It means copyright will mean something to them again. And maybe they'll start registering their copyrights and, and, and realizing the value of their copyrights more. And even more so, maybe the individuals who are infringing their copyrights will now realize, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be stealing this or taking this without permission because somebody can come after me now, whereas opposed to today, that really isn't a realistic possibility.
That was Video Love by Hands. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Keith Cooperschmidt. Now, how would these small claims courts operate? Would they be set up in each state? I mean, how does that work? So there would only be one court. It's actually called a board called the Copyright Claims Board, or CCB for short. It is only one board, and it would be located here in Washington, D.C., where I'm located, my offices are located, but it would be at the U.S. Copyright Office. And the Copyright Office would, with the Librarian of Congress, would hire three judges in the bill. They're called officers, but would hire three judges, at least two of whom have to have copyright experience, and another one would have to have experience in like mediation and arbitration. But it would be located here in Washington, D.C. And so, but because participation can be remote, it really doesn't make any difference where it's located in, in terms of what city or state, because if you are a creator or if you're the defendant in the case, you can pursue the case or defend yourself in the case from the comfort of your own home or your own business. You do not have to travel anywhere. And that's significant, significant convenience compared to federal court where you might have to travel across the country, spend lots of money, travel, and other types of participation. So that's a huge difference between the small claims court and federal court. And it's interesting you mentioned this might incentivize people not to infringe because they could actually be sued for damages in a reasonable amount as opposed to, you know, I'm going to hire a lawyer and, and sue you for millions. But also it might encourage people who own copyrights to register those copyrights. And I know that the U.S. Copyright Office has just recently changed their policy. And now if you want to bring a claim, you actually have to have your copyright not just started, not your application just in the system, but actually approved. So that's a little bit of a change from how it used to be in the past, which I think maybe has been a little daunting for some people. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly correct. So there's a big difference between copyright and other types of intellectual property like patents or trademarks. For for copyright, you actually get copyright rights the minute you create the work, right? The minute you lift the pen off the piece of paper, the minute you finish the recording, that recording or that work of authorship, you know, if it's a poem or an article, that's protected by copyright. You do not have to register your work with the U.S. Copyright Office, but there's certain reasons that you may want to. But if you look at all the reasons, all the incentives to register with the Copyright Office, almost all of them have to do with litigation. So if you're not able to litigate, if you can't afford to litigate and sue somebody to protect yourself in federal court, there's very little reason to register your copyrights at this juncture. If this small claims bill passes, all of a sudden there'll be a whole new reason for individual creators and small businesses to register their copyrights for the first time in in many, many years, if not ever. And so we would expect the number of registration applications, if this bill passes, to increase dramatically at the Copyright Office. And in turn, that will give the Copyright Office more money to spend, more money in its coffers, if you will, to spend on improved services for creators and as well as users of the system. The public and more in general will have more data in terms of copyright and and what have you. And so this is really, this bill is ultimately a win-win for just about everyone. And, and, and in that regard, I should mention the bill is very balanced 
And it's just not about just about copyright owners being protected, but it's also about people who have defenses or fair use claims. So let's say somebody, you've got a creator who's got a fair use claim, and they believe they're using something and making use of the fair use defense, and therefore what they're doing is totally legitimate, and they do not need a license for it. Right now, the only way for them to protect themselves is to go to federal court, too, and they can't afford it either. Mm, yeah. This bill allows you know the users, the alleged infringers, also to bring their own case, even if the copyright owner does not, to try to get a declaratory judgment that what they are doing is fair use. And so it really does help everyone in the copyright ecosystem or the copyright community, if you will, not just creators. It really does help and improve the system as a whole. And that's something that that hopefully everyone would be able to support, get behind. Definitely. So where are these bills at in both houses of Congress right now? Both bills are still pending in the Senate and the House. So the Senate bill recently, as of late July, passed through the Senate Judiciary Committee. So that's sort of step one in the Senate. The next step would be for the Senate bill, and they're identical bills, I should mention. The next step is for the Senate bill to go to the Senate floor for a vote. And that probably won't happen for a little time yet. There's different procedural mechanisms that have to happen first before that happens, but hopefully before the end of the year that will happen. The House bill hasn't been considered. It's got to go through the House Judiciary Committee first and then would go to the House floor. And our hope is that both of those things will happen within the next month to two months or so. And right now, there are over 80 co-sponsors for this bill in the House. And in the House Judiciary Committee, there are three quarters of the members of that committee have already co-sponsored the bill. So what that means is most, virtually the entire committee has already said they like this bill and they will vote in favor of it. And so we would anticipate it getting through the House Judiciary Committee fairly easily Similarly, with the House floor, with 80, I think it's 83 co-sponsors we have now, that is about quadruple the number of co-sponsors we had last year. That is a lot, a lot of co-sponsors. And so that's a good sign that the bill will also get through the House floor as well. And I should mention it's bipartisan. So this is not a bill that's only favored by Democrats or only favored by Republicans. We have almost an equal number of Democrats and Republicans supporting this bill, which is also a very, very wonderful sign. And we also have the leaders in Congress themselves, the leaders of the committees, the leaders of the different caucuses supporting the bill, as well as a wide variety and diverse group of outside groups that support the bill, right? We have groups from the music industry, the publishing industry. We have the American Bar Association, for instance. We have the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is supportive as well. We have the AFL-CIO, all sorts of different groups from around the country. I would say it's, it's getting close to maybe 300 groups or so of individual groups that are supportive. So this bill really does have a tremendous amount of momentum and a tremendous amount of support. And, and for those who are creators themselves or small businesses who rely on copyright, or if you just know somebody who is a creator or relies on copyright, I mean, I, we're trying to just get the word out and encourage everyone to reach out to their congressmen and ask them to support the CASE Act, you know, which is in the House is H.R. 2426 and the Senate S-1273. So there you go. That's the call to action for today, folks. Yeah. <laughs> go right to your senator or congressperson and uh, support the CASE Act. Absolutely. Keith Cooper Schmidt, the CEO of Copyright Alliance, thank you so much for joining me today on The Future of What? Right, well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. 
You heard Filthy Friends, Cindy Wilson, Hands, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Jason and Randy at Zero by One and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next week.